everyone, and welcome to Food Navigator Asia's monthly podcast, the FNA Food and Beverage Trailblazers. This is a series where we speak to and get to know more about groundbreaking food and beverage firms in the Asia-Pacific region, as well as the people behind them and their stories. I am Pearlie, the editor of Food Navigator Asia, and as always, I am your host for this series. Joining me today is Michael Fox, CEO of Australian mushroom-based meat firm Fable Foods. Fable Foods specializes in using the shiitake mushroom to make alternative slow-cooked meat products that are currently already being sold in major supermarkets across Australia. So hello, Michael. Welcome to the podcast, first of all, and thank you so much for joining me today. No worries. Thanks, Pearly. Really good to chat to you again. Really great to have you here. And I think the first thing I'd like to talk to you about is, very naturally, mushrooms. So, you know, why mushrooms to make your products as opposed to, well, real plants, you know, as some might argue. And would you describe your products as plant-based, given that mushrooms are not exactly plants in the traditional sense? Yeah, so uh, why mushrooms? I wanted to develop a meat alternative that, uh, that to help other people reduce their meat consumption. Um, and I wanted to develop one that kind of aligned with my own uh, whole, sort of whole food-based uh, eating philosophies. Um, mushrooms have been used uh, in Asia and parts of Europe for thousands of years. You know, shiitake mushrooms used in traditional Chinese medicine for thousands of years. Um, they're very healthy um, and have a lot of those natural meaty umami flavors in them as well. Um, in terms of do we call our product plant-based, um, it's a good good question. I mean, technically, our product isn't, uh, uh, yeah, as you point out, because yeah, fungi is uh, different to plants, uh, different kingdom. There's kind of animal kingdom, plant kingdom, fungi kingdom, and there's a couple other kingdoms as well. So technically, our products aren't plants. Um, and so we generally don't use the terminology plant-based mm. um, because of that. Um, but that said, the the kind of meat alternative space has sort of evo- you know has evolved a bit of a naming convention around being plant based. Um, and so there are occasions where you know we sit sometimes in the plant based meat category in some retail stores mm. um, or, or in the plant based section of the menu in some restaurants. So in those cases, I mean, yeah, we're, we're okay with it being called plant based if that's how people understand it. Well, what's in the name, right? I mean, as long as it is the important thing is it being a meat alternative, right? So I guess yeah, what's right, in the name? Exactly. <laughs> So, you know, mushrooms, of course, so like, you know, how do the sustainability credentials of uh, shiitake mushrooms measure up to other sort of plant-based ingredients currently being used to make meat alternatives? You know, I know sustainability is such a huge driver in Australia. So, I mean, that's an important question, right? Yeah, so mushrooms are incre- an incredibly sustainable way to grow food. So shiitake mushrooms uh, tr- like uh, traditionally grow on uh, logs out in the forest. Um, on, on rotting wood and the mycelium of the shiitake mushroom grows through the through the wood, um, helps to break down and compost the wood. And then the, the shiitake mushroom fruiting bodies grow out of the log and that's what um, humans have eaten for thousands of years. Um, and uh, people started to cultivate um, actually also a couple of thousand years ago in China. Um, uh, today they're grown on, um, on, on wooden logs, um, generally on kind of uh, wooden logs that are made out of sawdust from uh, the forestry industry. Hmm. So um, it's kind of the offcuts and byproducts of, uh, of the timber industry. Um, that's all kind of compressed into logs. Um, and then that's what the shiitake mushrooms are grown on. So hmm. it's yeah, they're grown on a byproduct out of another industry. Um, they help to break down the the sawdust and the wood into something that in the end can be, you know, is a nice 
uh, sort of compostable uh, sort of soil that can be put on to uh, be used on farms to grow plants. Um, the shiitake mushrooms are also grown indoors, so they don't use a lot of space. Um, you don't don't need to mm. you know, cut down forests for farmland for the shiitake mushrooms to grow on because to grow on because they're grown indoors. Um, they also don't use that much water to grow them because again because they're grown indoors. Um, just for some numbers, um, the carbon emissions from a kilogram of beef there's somewhere somewhere between uh, 60 and 100 kilograms of co2 equivalents um, and to produce a kilogram of uh, mushrooms is about 0.7 so compared with uh, the meats that we're replacing so you know you're looking at roughly uh, kind of a hundred one one hundredth of the amount of carbon emissions yeah. of, of beef on that note, we're, we're talking a little bit about sustainability now. So I do wonder, what are you seeing to be the biggest driver of the meat alternative sector in Australia? You know, is it sustainability like we just discussed? Is it health? Is it cost? You know, is it anything else? And do you think focusing just solely on one area like sustainability is enough for, you know, a business to flourish in this area? Yeah, so there's a whole range of reasons. Um, all the market research uh, is, is pretty consistent and it points to health as being the biggest driver for why people want to reduce their meat consumption, mm -hmm. fairly closely followed by sustainability. Um, in third place is the ethics around um, uh, using animals in the, uh, for the production of food um, and a kind of growing growing one that people are, people are still learning about is preventing the next pandemic swine flu and bird flu and other mm. you know almost pandemics that um that, that did kill a lot of people in in asia over the last decade those came mm -hmm. from swine flu came from pig factory farms bird flu yep. came from chicken factory farms um but yeah there's a distinct possibility that we will get another pandemic coming out of uh factory farms and so uh you know we need to reduce our uh, meat consumption the, no, the number one reason people buy food is taste. So, mm. you know, we, we do focus on making sure that our products taste amazing. Uh, the, second, the second biggest driver is price. Um, mm. So, you know, we need to work to make sure that our products compare favorably to buying meat and, and we're at price parity with the meats that we replicate at the moment. And then we also, of course, have all the sustainability mm. benefits, uh, ethical benefits and Help, helping to prevent the next pandemic and everything else. The last time we spoke, you know, you mentioned that uh, your product portfolio is a lot focused on the premium items like the slow cooked meats and the advantages are there, you know, to reach price parity as you just mentioned and so on. But have you ever considered, you know, doing the less premium meat alternative products for those who are looking for these, you know, with your processing technology, with your cost margins allow for such things? Yeah, definitely over time and particularly as we scale. So, um, uh, you know, there's a fairly fairly sort of common business strategy of uh, for businesses to kind of start at the premium end of the market and then as they scale, work their way down. Uh, you know, a very, very famous mm. example of that is Tesla starting with um, mm. sort of really premium sports cars and then now they've got the, the, the next version, which is a more sort of mass market priced version of their car, and they'll continue to push mm -hmm. the prices down. Um, you know, we're, we're kind of following that same uh, business strategy. So the first product that we developed, um, yeah, as, as we talked about last time, replicates kind of slow cooked mm -hmm. meats like braised beef and beef brisket, which are yeah, more premium expensive mm. meats. Um, and by replicating those first, we were able to um, be at price parity with those, uh, with those meat products um, when we're out in the market. Um, you know, now we've got some, you know, we're still relatively early stage in compared to big meat companies that have a lot of scale, um, but we're getting more scale and that's helping us to drive our costs down. So the second product that we just launched in Australia um, in, in uh, early August is our meaty mushroom burger. Um, mm. So it's a, yeah, a ground, ground beef or minced beef uh, 
burger uh, replacement um, made from made from shiitake mushrooms and agaricus mushrooms, um, and selling that product into our food service partners, um, we're able to match the price of um, their premium burger patties, like a like a wagyu beef burger patty, for mm. example. Um, so we're at price parity there, uh, and then as we yeah, as we continue to grow and scale, um, you know we can source our mushrooms more efficiently. We improve our mm. manufacturing processes, make them more efficient. We can bring down our uh, shipping costs with more scale. Um, and that enables us to then yeah, move into even more mainstream segments of the market and, and be at price parity and, and ultimately beat the price of meat. Okay, so now we've talked a fair bit about the firm, we've talked a fair bit about, about the industry and drivers, but now I'd like to find out a bit more about your own entrepreneurship path. So I understand that previously you were in the fashion industry for quite a number of years, you know, over a decade, if I'm not wrong. So how did you find yourself here, you know, as a food entrepreneur? Uh, I previously co-founded a business called Shoes of Prey, which did uh, custom women's shoes online. So you could go online and design your own shoes. So it was kind of a fashion technology business. Um, and and uh, yeah, exactly. I did that business for 10, 10 years, as you mentioned. Um, so uh, yeah, that was kind of my first sort of journey into entrepreneurship. And, and it's been a really interesting journey for me personally. I, I started Shoes of Prey in my mid-20s. Uh, um, and really, I... I just hadn't even had the thought of wanting to do something good for the world at that, at that point. Mm-hmm. You know, that was in the mid 2000s. And, um, you know, I finished university, worked a year as a lawyer, worked, worked, spent a bit of time at Google doing advertising sales. And um, yeah, I guess the co-founding of Shoes of Prey was really, you know, capitalism at its finest. I sort of looked for a gap in the market mm-hmm. and, a, and a product to fill that gap. Um, but then it was dur- during my time doing Shoes of Prey, um, I went, veg- I was living in Los Angeles. I went vegetarian. And for me, that was, uh, that was just a personal decision. Um, you know, it was a mix of, for me, uh, ethical, environmental, health and pandemic prevention reasons in, in that order. So, so for me, the ethics was the big part. Um, but then, yeah, I found myself doing a shoe business that made leather shoes. And so that's, you know, you have all the questions of, oh, hang on, is what I'm doing actually really good for the world? You know, is, is fashion and trying to encourage people to buy products that they don't really need and particularly products made from animals. Yeah. That's actually probably doesn't necessarily align with my mm. values. Um, you know, to, I, to be fair, I didn't go and change what I was doing. I mean, we, we launched a vegan range of, of shoes mm. and we did some things like that um, after I went vegetarian. Um, but uh, I still kept doing shoes of prey. Um, and it was only when I, I finished up with shoes of prey, that's now three and a half years ago. Um, yeah, ultimately, that business was a startup roller coaster ride, um, but we ultimately just couldn't get product market fit in the mass market, and we ended up um, ended up closing the business down. Um, so I took six months off after I finished up with Shoes of Prey, and uh, and I, it was really the first time I'd had a break in a decade, and I ended up reading a lot more about industrial animal agriculture and um, got very passionate about wanting to help mm-hmm. contribute to ending it. Um, and so then I was thinking through, okay, what are the best ways I can help? I'm vegan now and, I, and I've been one of those annoying vegetarians and vegans trying to convince everyone around me to turn <laughs> vegetarian and vegan. And I think I've convinced like three people in, uh, in six <laughs> years. So I'm not a very good activist. Um, but I, I could see in talking to all those people, you know, people get it. They understand why they should be reducing their meat consumption and could see that if you can give people a product that helps them to reduce their meat consumption, that's the best path. Yeah, that's what uh, led me from Shoes of Prey into, into Fable. Fashion and food sounds so different from one another, you know. So it's like, yeah, it sounds like a real roller coaster, right? So I guess the next natural question, of course, you know, you know, what have you seen, you know, as the main differences between the food and the fashion industry? Yeah, good question. Um, so on the personal front, uh, comparing my experience in fashion and food, uh, they're quite 
different experiences. Um, mm-hmm. As I kind of touched on with fashion, I, I just the, literally the thought hadn't entered my mind at that when I started Shoes of Prey that I should do something good for the world. Whereas Fable very much uh, was born out of wanting to mm-hmm. you know help contribute to ending industrial animal agriculture. So for me, fashion was uh, yeah kind of just a capitalist uh, filling a gap in the market. Whereas Fable is very much a mission driven. Um, business wanting, wanting to wanting to do something good. Um, I think on the per, also on the personal front, I was never particularly passionate about the product. Um, mm. I'm not a woman and don't wear women's fashion <laughs> shoes. Um, and uh, and uh, whereas for, in the for the food space that we're in, I'm I'm vegan and I mm-hmm. do eat. Uh, you know, I do I have cut out my meat consumption and I mm. you know I still miss meat. Uh, yeah, so it's a space that I'm very passionate about and love. So on the personal front, um, the, the both spaces have been quite different. Um, on the professional side, um, there's actually been a lot of similarities for me in starting mm-hmm. a fashion business and starting a food business. Um, you know, there's uh, really the business models are quite similar, um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, needing to sort of understand the customer and what the customer is looking for, the kinds of products that they're looking for. That's the same, whether that's fashion or food, um, then then does developing, a, doing all the product development to develop a product mm-hmm. to fill that gap in the market. That's all the same. Um, sourcing the raw materials and then doing and then manufacturing the product. Those pieces are very similar. Um, international and we did a lot of work. Actually, Shoes of Prey. We did our manufacturing in. We built our own shoe factory in China. Sourced oh. a lot of the materials ourselves. So um, and then with Fable, uh, we uh, work with co-manufacturing partners in Malaysia. So both businesses. Um, I've done a lot. Yeah, worked in, worked across different countries in Asia and done a lot of the sourcing in Asia. So all of those things are quite similar. And then. You know, logistics is all very similar. Um, you know, food is, we use cold chain logistics, whereas fashion, uh, obviously things travel ambient. So there's some slight mm. differences there, but really international shipping is all quite similar. Um, then, you know, for Shoes of Prey, we worked with department store chains like David Jones mm. in Australia, Nordstrom in the US for Fable with selling through supermarket chains like Colds and Woolworths in Australia. So that's all you know, dealing with a Woolworths or a, or a Nordstrom is, is really quite similar. Um, and yes, yeah, so, yeah. So building a brand in fashion, and um, you know, food is not generally brands aren't as uh, kind of strong. Like fashion is a hyper competitive space and very mm. very brand driven. Food is a lot more product driven. Um, but I've really enjoyed bringing my brand building learnings from fashion into food. Um, and so yeah, we we are doing a lot of work developing the Fable brand, and yeah, it's been interesting applying the fashion brand experience into into food. Is there anything you wish you had known, you know, when you were starting out in the beginning? You know, anything that you might have changed if you had known these things? Yeah, I think if I if I went back and could talk to my twenty five year old self, um, I would uh, I would let myself at that age uh, know that. Um, yeah, I should. If I'm going to start a business, I should do something that is good for the world, uh, and in a in a space, a category that I'm passionate about. Um, it, it, in my experience, having not done that with Shoes of Prey, and now doing that with Fable, it makes such a difference to, um, I mean, just my my whole life, um, and and in the you know in, in enjoyment of life, um, and I think the gives our gives the business a higher chance of success. Um, you know, it's it's, just, it's much more enjoyable to work on a product that um, that you're really passionate about. Um, it's exciting to wake up in the morning and you know just be thrilled to go to work because you know that the things that you're working on are, you know, if they're successful, are going to have a have a big positive impact on the world. Um, yeah, those things are just really satisfying. And I, I guess you could break it out into two things. So one is passion for the product. Um, I think helps 
helps you to, hello, in my experience, I enjoy working on Fable probably a bit more than I did Shoes of Prey because I'm personally very passionate about the product and the category. Um, and then the second uh, thing is working on something where there is a really positive impact on the world. So Shoes of Prey didn't really have that. Um, fashion doesn't really have that. Um, whereas helping to contribute to ending industrial animal agriculture does. Starting a business, you've got to put in crazy hours. There's no two ways mm -hmm. around that. Um, and so doing that, knowing that it's some, working on something that you enjoy and something that's going to be good for the world if it's successful, that's what I would encourage other people to do. And particularly, you know, particularly now the world, the world needs more entrepreneurs to you know, mm. not start another um, social media company or uh, <laughs> iPhone app or, uh, you know, soda company, junk food company, um, you know, or fashion company. You know, we need more people doing uh, things like making meat alternatives or health foods or products that are, that are more sustainable. Where do you see yourself in Fable Foods in the next 12 months and about maybe five years down the line? Fast forward 20, 30 years, I hope we're in a place where, um, you know, not much meat from animals is being eaten anymore. And we've, we've, we and other companies have disrupted that. Bringing that back to the timeframes in your question, five years and then 12 months. So um, I think over the, over the next 12 months, um, we're looking to partner with more um, premium quick service restaurant chains uh, in Australia, um, across Asia, uh, in the UK and in the United States. Um, so partners who are the equivalent of Grilled and Guzman and Gomez in Australia. Um, and, and yeah, we're talking to some good companies in those other markets and we'd love to speak to more. So in 12 months time, um, yeah, we'd love to be in sort of another three or four of those uh, sort of chains across those markets. Uh, moving forward to five years from now, um, yeah, I would hope that we would be, uh, we would have spent the next couple of years um, in that premium quick service restaurant segment of the market and we would have had a lot of success there. Um, and we would be expanding out into more, much more broadly into retail, into um, more sort of fast food, convenience, fast food, and to some of those more mass market, um, bigger segments of the market where ultimately we can have an even bigger impact. Do you have any advice for those out there who are trying, you know, to move into entrepreneurship like you have done? I guess a, a few things. So be conscious that... Um, Entrepreneurship is great. I've, I've loved the journey. Um, I don't think it necessarily suits everyone. Um, so you've got to be incredibly passionate and driven. Um, you know, I, I think I've, in some ways, I've got a bit of an addictive personality. So pointing that addictive personality into things that are, are good for the world is, is, is good. But when I get focused on something, I almost struggle to do anything else. Um, so I think that kind of, those kind of personality traits um, lend themselves to entrepreneurship. Whereas, you know, I've got, I studied law at university and I've got plenty of friends who are lawyers who, you know, very happy in that industry and entrepreneurship wouldn't necessarily suit them. So yeah, firstly, have a think about your personality type and do you want to be in a space where, um, yeah, where you're working crazy hours, there's a lot of risk. You know, I spent 10 years on Shoes of Prey and it, didn't work out. We ultimately had to close mm. the business down. You know, those it's hard. Uh, entrepreneurship is hard, and and you, yeah, I've had those those tough bad experiences. Um, so you've got to be willing to go through that and take that on because that's that's a, a an outcome with a that's got a high probability. Um, and so so yeah, think through whether you're cut out for entrepreneurship and if that is really what you want to do. Um, and then if it is, um, you know, it, it is a it is a great experience. I, I certainly wouldn't want to be doing anything else myself. Um, but yeah, as I kind of touched on before, think about what you can do that is 
going to be really good, have a really good positive impact on the world um, and think about trying to do that in a space where you're personally very passionate and interested in the product um, because those two things will make the journey much more rewarding for you both personally and give your business a higher probability of success. All right, wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me today, Michael. It was really wonderful to catch up with you. No worries. Thanks, Pearly. Thanks for having me on. Really good chatting to you. Thank you so much. And thank you also, everyone, for listening to this podcast as well. And I wish everyone a great day ahead. For Food Navigator Asia, this is Pretty signing off.